2: and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host JP John Puzz and we're back here for another who is the greatest. This week we'll be covering who is the greatest faction of all time. Of course joining me is Mr. HMG, Mr. TMPT, Mr. PWA, Mr. Factionist, RBV himself. What's up Rick? How you doing? Paul's great to be
1: back again. I thought you were gonna mix up the rotation as I was the the last one to the party. I got moved to the bottom of the pyramid here, uh, but that's all right, you know, because I'm the support. I'm the one that's it's probably gonna have to carry us through this thing. But I, I'll tell you what, though, this you know coming in off of the tremendous run we have the the mini series. Who is the real, you know, Mister WrestleMania into now the greatest faction? Again, this is one of the, those hot those hot button debates where you immediately when you hear the question. You can fire off your answer, but it's still until you really start diving in and and digging through that information, it really begins to open up your mind. I'm looking forward to some tremendous conversation.
2: And of course, third man in the booth, the doctor himself, Michael Jargo. Jargo, how are you doing?
0: You know, right before we started recording, you made the comment, you know, let's not turn this into a nine part series. And now I'm looking at all the tabs that I have open on my Mac and I'm going, uh uh-oh because I think I've got a list of about 11 that I could make a case for. This, this all kind of spewed out of a comment that I made thanks to Bullet Club's 8th anniversary. I was like, at what point do we actually start considering Bullet Club amongst this mix? And I'm this is one I, you would think that I would be like very heavily in the Bullet Club camp being the New Japan guy, but I'm not necessarily. I'm, I'm really open to this one because I think there's a lot of really good options
2: here. Interesting, you said that because this really was spawned because you were saying all oh, the Bullet Club might be the greatest faction, and Rick of all people scoffed at that immediately and shut that down, which I thought was a little crazy. I said, Rick, think about it a little bit. No, Rick, you didn't want to even think about it at the Bullet Club. What's up uh, with that?
1: I, it, that was—it's one of those just knee-jerk reactions. You know, you immediately you're just going on instinct, and, and you have to dismiss it. Like, come on, really? I mean, we're, we're gonna—we can go down the list of some incredible groups. Talents that assemble together to ch- forever change professional wrestling. And, and I will admit, now in my studies over the course of the week here, uh, the Bullet Club has closed the gap. But I'm still, you know, over this next hour or so, I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need some convincing if you're going to completely sway me. I mean, he- here's the thing and, and what really kind of spawned
0: this comment, right? Th- everything that we look at when we think of the greatest, it's always in hindsight. And it's like, you know, maybe stop and appreciate what you actually have going on right now. Because this eight-year run of Bullet Club, I mean, what started basically as a parody, what started as a complete ripoff of the NWO and the Click and the Young Bucks with their ironic style of wrestling, has become one of the top at least 10 factions of all time after eight years multiple world championships selling out buildings all over the freaking world at what point do we actually just stop and embrace what we actually have right now and say hey
2: this is really freaking good maybe we should just shut up and enjoy it i was thinking at first like because at Bullet club i'm like hmm let's see like cultural significance even here in the united states it's like it checks that box because for whatever crazy reason Hot Topic jumped on the train. So many people had Bullet Club shirts. Like You would go to a WWE show, and people would have Bullet Club shirts. Maybe they didn't quite get it, or maybe they didn't know who it was. They just thought it was an awesome logo. Whatever, by hook or by crook, whatever the way it goes. See, the Kardashians wearing NWO stuff. They have no idea what the NWO is. I guarantee you have no idea. They just think it looks cool. So people might even think, oh, that's cool, Bullet Club. No matter how it happened, they were selling out. Uh, Hot topic like crazy all over the place in in multiple states. They were just selling merch like crazy. People were getting into it. People were wondering what the Bullet Club was. People were you know kind of saying, "Man, th- these guys are a ripoff," but they're funny about it. They're they're great about it. Like they liked everything they were doing. Hogan praised it whether he was being truthful or not he praised it hall and nash praised it i mean you had all these people uh, waltman was saying how cool it was so it wasn't one of those things where it's like a bullet club flesh in the pan what a joke they actually made it into something without being a part of wb without ever you know coming on w's radar but then you had all those copycat people were copying the shirts and you know they were making their own clubs out of it and New Japan had almost like ceased to assist some of those people because it was getting out of control. But that just shows you the popularity. When something gets so popular like that, so many people copy the Beatles stuff. Um, you know what I mean? When once you get to a certain level, they don't imitate things that aren't popular or aren't cool. So they were imitating something they thought was popular or something they thought was cool. Jargo, I know you agree with me. I mean, to a what? certain point, Bullet Club is very, very popular even here in the states. Absolutely.
0: And the logo certainly helps, right? I mean, it wasn't the the original Bullet Club shirt. It's not like that just absolutely caught fire and everybody was running out and buying it when Devitt was leading the faction, right? Like it took that logo and then the Young Bucks marketing. And really, as much as it pains me to say this, and Rick is going to be forced to agree, I think, one of my least favorite members of Bullet Club over the course of history is Cody Rhodes, But it wasn't until Cody joined and brought that business acumen in, all of a sudden, not only are they carrying New Japan Pro Wrestling in the interest here in the United States, they're also carrying Ring of Honor. Then they do all in, sell out the freaking Sears Center in Chicago, basically within seconds. And now it's actually spawned its own rival promotion in AEW because AEW does not happen without the Bullet Club. So, I mean, even now in retrospect, We don't know where this thing is going to end up because the success of AEW is absolutely going to play into the historical significance of Bullet Club. But when you look at what they have done inside of the professional wrestling world, my God, at one time here, I think they were on top of like four or five different companies. When you look at all the former members of Bullet Club, it's crazy to see what they have done. They said that they were going to change the professional wrestling world eight years ago.
1: And now here we are, and they truly have changed the professional wrestling world. You guys covered a lot of ground there in, in the opening statements. I'm not really sure what to dive in and start dissecting this. I guess I'll start with a positive. Let's, let's get off on the right foot here. Uh, I want to give the Bullet, Bullet Club absolute 100% credit for the incredible marketing game. Uh, the strategies that they have employed have been magnificent. It is one of the absolute checks that I will give them in their box over you know the number one comparison, the Nwl that you know the the bucks, what they were able to do, how Cody truly came in and helped drive the elevation inside of itself of how all right, we have this small piece of land. it's ourself. We have to cultivate this thing and man, they turned it into a state from a garden to a state. and absolutely, now a country. absolutely. <laughs> magnificent job when we're looking at the aspects of how they have sold their their merch how they have sold their their selves and ultimately for better or worse how they've sold their sold their style and as i talk about style Jargo says let's let's appreciate what we have right now when it comes to the style of professional wrestling is there ultimately a lot to appreciate with what we've seen from those that have stood out inside of the bullet club I mean, arguably, this style today—I mean, it, it is completely a slap in the face to traditional foundations, the pillars of professional wrestling. Has it evolved in, in the right way? We, thanks to the, you know a lot of these antics of you know the connecting with the fans and you know, through social media, however, and how they have utilized it, manipulated it, we have lost a professional wrestling where we are no longer in awe of our superstars. We have those inside the bubble, those little pencil-neck geeks that think and believe they are the superstars. They can be the superstars of professional wrestling. I think a lot of that has to do with the movement from the Bullet Club. I think a lot of that has to do with Vince McMahon
0: and the revenue split between the WWE and the actual talent. And if you happen to be six foot seven and 320 pounds, you're not going into professional wrestling. You're going into professional football because you want to make some goddamn money and there ain't no freaking money in professional wrestling. That's why you get the rejects like Baron Corbin. I think that has way more to do with it than anything that the young bucks and Adam Cole have
1: done over the course of the last 10 freaking years no, I, I, for for that's you're you're completely twisting i mean you've had people that were were washed up in football that made a move to professional wrestling
0: yeah well, because they couldn't play football anymore it's not that they love professional you, you, wrestling you rag, it's that they you
1: couldn't you, play football you anymore. regular you regularly hear this where oh i got this injury and you know i was done there come on nobody very few were at that elite level in other sports very very few at that elite level or where they were going to have a elongated career uh, unless they would have made a move like that. And that's reality. You, you could twist that narrative for a you know, nice what biography. I'm
0: saying, what I'm saying, Rick is when you look at the amount of money that Hulk Hogan was making versus the amount of money that one of the 1984 Chicago bears were making, it was very comparable. There was a reason that people would go into professional wrestling that you had these larger than life personalities Over the course of the last 20 to 25 years, these contracts have become so incredibly bloated that if you are somebody that's six, seven, 300 pounds, you're not going into professional wrestling to make $100,000 a year. You're going into professional football where the league minimum is $6 million a year.
1: That's what I'm
0: saying. And so you end up with people like George Kittle, who is a huge professional wrestling fan probably would have went into professional wrestling if this was the mid 80s and he could make the same amount of money but the money is so
1: incredibly different that they're playing
0: other sports
1: when you make that transition from another sport okay it takes you have to become dedicated to the craft of pro wrestling you have to understand what works you have to build that persona hulk hogan stone cold steve austin the rock they didn't come in you know making equal more pay than a pro athlete day one there was a commitment there. They had to build to those levels.
0: But now it's not even close. The only person that's making NFL kind of money was Brock freaking Lesnar.
1: I mean, we, we, we've we done the numbers. It, it, okay, so if... Okay, one thing, I mean, all right, absolutely, there should be a little bit of more leeway. I mean, you are going to have corporate greed in this as the WWE grows, as they went public there. There is more responsibility to the the stockholder, uh, their own investments that they begin to branch out through the company here. But again, inside of that, who are the ones actually making the big dollars? It, it's not the it's not the little twerps that are getting involved in this. Uh, they're out on the indie scenes running these different things, thinking that it's spot. You, th- there's still no excuse. If you want to get back to that level where there is enough to go around from everyone, you stick to the traditions. You stick to what works. This isn't a floor routine. This is sports, theatrics, sports, athletics. At its, it should be at its best, and it's not. And a lot of that has stemmed because of the culture that has grown from the the main core there of the elite, the Bullet Club, if you will.
0: You say that, and let's look at who's on top inside of the WWE. AJ Styles, perennial main eventer. Finn Balor, two-time NXT champion. Adam Cole, longest reigning NXT champion. I mean, like, I'm not going to fault these guys for the environment that they
1: exist in. I'm not going to listen to an NXT development system bubble inside of a bubble style there. AJ Styles. Bubble inside of
0: a bubble? They're making more money than the fucking Freebirds did just from the goddamn TV revenue.
1: I don't know about that. You think think the Freebirds were making $60 million a year? Get the fuck out of here. Who's making $60 million a year?
0: NXT off of their freaking TV contract.
1: Well, I wouldn't expect three guys on a card to make what a world global promotion does. Now, but if I take inflation and I look at the currency exchange from yesterday today, then I'm going to guarantee not you close, that the free birds were in there at their on their biggest run. We're out. They were out banking them.
2: Pops. Are you putting, putting free birds as a, uh, one of your top factions? Are you absolutely. Yeah, you How do you not? Okay. They're on my list as well. The but, Freebirds and Von Eric's both. But just to go back to Bullet Club for a second, I would focus more on AJ than even Devitt because Devitt, when Devitt was there, they weren't as popular. When AJ joins at New Japan Pro Wrestling, immediately becomes uh, IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, that's when I think it sets it off because not only was he headlining there, he was headlining Ring of Honor at the same time. And he was really kind of building up both promotions. Not that New Japan really needed it because Okada and Tanahashi kind of set it on a trajectory upwards uh, but I think AJ super helped them and the Bullet Club with the with what they were doing like culture like wow do you, people don't cheat in matches they were cheating in matches you know what I mean it was very different in Japan and it got over in a big big way to me the Young Bucks are like low on the totem pole as far as bullet club guys and always i never took him as seriously in japan japan obviously never took him as seriously new japan let them go in like a heartbeat omega there was a little bit of a struggle they wanted to hold on to him but, but young bucks are like see ya like they kind of didn't care they left omega yes but the other guys i don't think so the
0: the problem with the young bucks in new japan pro wrestling is they were in that junior tag team division which right. is you, you if you're lucky you might get the opening spot on the card if you're lucky, that's just the way they treat that entire division. They were seven time champs of that division, you know, so they did have plenty of Tokyo Dome moments. Um, I think the thing with the Bucks, much more so is like what Rick was talking about when it comes to the marketing and the globalization of the Bullet Club, you know, Mrs. Matt selling shit out of the, the back seat of the van, you know, it was like grassroots marketing that has become a global phenomenon now inside of AEW.
1: But what kills me with the bucks and, and pause, I'm a little, I'm on the other side of the coin of you on this one. Jargo knows I've talked about this for years. I, I've really enjoyed the bucks in new Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it, it is blown away. What people have come to expect and what they know in, in Western wrestling, you get them over there. They, they could be downright vicious. Uh, they knew how to work that style. And that's, you know, it's it, speaking of the style. That is something else I had in my notes that I wanted to bring up was, we're comparing the bullet club to any of the Western. Factions. Is it's amazing when you watch those the, those matches themselves that the styles are so different. I, I to this point now you cannot compare Japanese Eastern wrestling and Western wrestling. It's like saying you know comparing football and baseball. Sure, they're both sports, but they're so completely different in, in how they're presented, uh, how they're consumed, all facets of, of the game. They're completely different, so it's so unfair to come really to compare. You know how. Reactions over there, importance levels, and maybe cultural impact as well. So I mean that might become a divide here in our conversation. But yeah, I, I love the bucks over there. I almost wonder, you know, in that marketing mind, I, I do this every day. And there's you know, I'll, I'll spill it here. There's a lot of things I put out that I think that you know, the specials, the features, the deals, the direction, they're they're kind of silly. But you have to refocus and know your demographic. So if the Bucks are looking around and they're looking at these indie shows, and you don't absolutely you don't have that traditional pro wrestling fan showing up that's looking for that, and you've got, you know, again, you know, the bubble inside the bubble, uh, the little guys that that, that want to you know get as far back behind that curtain as they can. I actually I applaud the Bucks <laughs> for recognizing that. I almost wonder in their minds at this point they they probably they have just you know have had so much of the Kool-Aid they absolutely believe in it but at some point they even knew you know this isn't the wrestling game we grew up in where with, we grew up knowing
2: right with Bullet Club i know people would be like wow greatest factions no way you got to you know you got to talk who made the most money you put in their merch which is crazy they literally made pro wrestling tees from which still had austin and all these other guys from a very small company to a gigantic company with its own storefront, and uh, Ryan, the owner, will tell you the same thing. That's what set them off, and now made them the company that does AEW's merch, does this merch. It, it's true. For whatever uh, reason, I, that merch just was insane, and just, and it was not small potatoes. That's why I, I do have to throw them in the conversation for sure. Money made. I, I just I think
1: we're living in that moment. And we're overplaying this and we're giving it. And it's still a tremendous accomplishment that this little group, not a company, could go get these deals done. And, you know, pro wrestling tees, it was the perfect storm. They needed something hot. You had a tremendous logo. Paul. you kind of mentioned it at the open there. It's just a cool, it's a cool t-shirt. You don't have to know anything about professional wrestling. Never even seen a, a match, any of those guys in your life. It's cool looking and that's where you win inside of marketing something that could have broader appeal mass appeal anytime i see a talent on you know even on the indie when i'm working with some individuals here i tell them man i know you want your name out there but that's not gonna move if you want to make the money on it come up with something what symbolizes you if you can trademark that immediately and move your merch move as much as you can and there's a lot of people out there, they're not gonna buy products. WWE, whoever, with the face of a talent, a face of somebody else on it. it because you know, it's it's too identifiable. You're you're going too much into that niche of pro wrestling. Well, you I mean, look think, at the most look at the most popular sellers. We're talking about the how Bullet Club has sold. They got in the hot topic. Well, I remember that's where I bought my my wrestling shirts back in the day. That's where I bought my NWO shirt. NWO shirts are still some of the top-selling shirts in professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. just because it's a it, not in the, the logo's so simplistic but it has that that very rustic raw look to it I mean, on, New world order I mean Again, not the a, whole the whole not a wrestling
2: shirt either. Yeah. Quote, unquote.
1: Right. right. I mean especially in today's landscape, we're talking about the New world order left and right like we would really I mean every every decade now you have some kind of uprising about a new world order going on. Going down that rabbit hole and it, it connects to people outside. It grows beyond the bubbles of professional wrestling. Uh, Austin three sixteen very simplistic. Smoking skull on the back. Stone cold. It just looked cool. And then, you know, and then it would it, it would pick up steam too, just for the blasphemous reasons where it would create anger around it. So when we talk about the how unique it is, I still don't want to take away that they were able to do this as a small group. But come on. I've bought dozens of wrestling shirts at a Hot Topic.
0: I think the other thing with Bullet Club that sets them into this conversation is just the tenure. There's a lot of other factions, whether it be the NWO, whether it be DX, whether it be Evolution. Eight freaking years for a faction to be together and to reinvent itself now four different times is rather
1: impressive. You guys will be able to answer this better than, than I could even guess here. What is the average lifespan for a faction in Japan?
0: Well, Japan's a little
2: bit different. Of course. Longer than longer than the states for sure, by a lot. Okay, so uh, so that's kind of a dismissible. But,
0: comparison. Well, no, but because even eight years in Japan is a really long freaking time. Lij is not eight years old. Chaos is probably pretty damn close because of the way that it's kind of evolved but chaos has been irrelevant for at least like the last three to four years it just kind it's of almost just a stick faction them together
2: just to have multiple man matches not really a real faction yeah
0: yeah right i mean I, and then suzuki goon again is just kind of this constant evolution of who's going to take over the mantle from minoru suzuki at this point much like he did so i mean but the eight years thing especially when you look at it on a global context, because how many other Japanese factions have broke into the United States market to even be considered for this? You know what I mean? NWO, that's really the only one.
1: In a, in a global scale here. And obviously, I mean, does do they have that Avenue? Do they have that ability? If it's not for the WWE and their expansion,
0: well yeah i think so because of ring of honor I, th- I think ring of honor played as big of a part in this as anything just because it gave bullet club an american I platform be,
1: i think that would be such a a, a small piece of, of that pie though because i mean we are talking uh, ring of honor is such a small it is a small piece small but small piece of land did sell at the, msg though
0: but the other thing is as while it is a small piece of land, the ring of honor fans go to other wrestling shows and they would wear their bullet club merch. And then other yeah. wrestling fans would be like, Hey, what's that? I like that, which is very much how the hot topic deal happened. Right. There was all those hot topic. People went to that WrestleMania. They're seeing bullet club shirts everywhere. And they're like, we want that design in our store. And Vince is like, uh, yeah, that's not ours. And that's how the bullet club in hot topic thing happened. You know? So I, I think with the, the NWO Bullet Club, when you look at the the global scale,
1: I think they're the only two in the conversation. But I was just, you know, I was going to bring that up. You know, it's and I, and I know so many people want to use the term "ripoff" with Bullet Club. I, I don't want to use that. It was a they, parody. I, I don't want to say like a parody. I think you know it's an you know, almost like an evolution. I use this argument too when you know so many old school you know people like myself nowadays I'm over the hill when, God, they get so furious when there's a remake of a movie. Like, oh, why can't you just leave it alone? It was fine in the 70s, 80s, or whatever it is. You know, why would you... And my argument is, you know what? They're they're updating it. They're bringing it up to speed for a new generation, a a new group of fans to be able to enjoy that. And maybe in in a lot of ways, to be able to connect the families a little bit more. So I'm absolutely okay when when they remake a movie there. You know, as long as they are... You know, they pay homage and... Respect to, you know, the original principles behind what they were trying to convoy. And a lot of people don't even realize when they're complaining about that. Oh, it was fine in the 70s and 80s. Well, that was just a remake from something in the 60s and 50s. Right. You know, in and, and entertainment recycles itself in that way. And, and that's what you really got with with the Bullet Club. You know, a lot of people really liked this back then. Maybe we can we can bring on some fans through the nostalgia and all that. It, well, What's the saying? You know, I mean, always says that in entertainment. You know, steal from others, make it yours, make it great. And I will give him credit there, but when we're talking about that global expansion again, you know, it's a mirror of what we saw at the NWO. I mean, we had an NWO Japan. That I mean well, they were, to they be were fair, so to be wanted fair, over there.
0: To be fair, Bischoff ripped off the NWO concept from Japan, brought it stateside. The least he could do is let it go back. But 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 that absolutely goes into Bullet Club too. Because when when the Young Bucks and Kenny, basically that second iteration with AJ, when they started throwing up the two sweet and whatnot, it was for heat. Because in Japan, people remember Chono doing that. And Chono had a ton of heat. It, it, and so while the American fan base viewed it one way, the Japanese fan base would view it another way. And there's so much of Bullet Club that really, it it just kind of branches those two cultures.
2: That's why I say it's an evolution. So when you talk about Bullet Club, obviously, you got to say NWO. And to me, I think NWO is the greatest faction of all time. Just for the fact that, okay, wrestling is going along. Got the Hogan, the golden period. Then it starts dying out and it's going slow. It's going slow. Hogan and Flair, when Hogan goes to WCW, did some good business. But still, you're going along, you're you're watching the Dungeon of Doom, and it's just kind of there, it's doing okay. You got Raw. you got Nitro, it's going okay. All of a sudden, Hall shows up, all of a sudden you get Nash, you start talking about that third man, then Hogan turns heel, set the business off to another boom period that we haven't seen since. So it's just crazy. Hogan's responsible for the first one, Hogan's responsible for the second one. Everyone and their mother, literally, mother and probably father. <laughs> We're talking about Hulk Hogan turning heel. It was in the newspapers, on TV. It's everywhere. Him going heel, him joining the NWO. Everyone's like, what the hell is this NWO thing? They create the shirt. It becomes one of the greatest selling t-shirts of all time. Like we said, still being sold today like crazy. Sold in Japan like crazy. One of the most popular selling shirts there. I believe it's it's, it's in the top three. I know Hulkamania was a big one, Austin 316, and NWO. And NWO may have surpassed some of them just because they still sell it at, at crazy length today. and People are still buying it, but NWO man, that changed wrestling forever. To me, it's the greatest faction. A lot of people say Four Horsemen, and that you know that they're kind of the original great faction, and and we'll definitely make a case for them too. But to me, man, the NWO was something special. Completely changed the business. Completely changed everything about wrestling. They were invading. I don't care if Bitchov got it from Japan or not, but they made an invasion storyline here in the states. People thought they were coming from WWF. It was done so well and it did so good that they were dominating WF for 83 straight weeks 104 weeks out of 117 if you could you go even further if you look at it one week technically speaking it was almost 90 weeks in a row but there was a um, some NBA breaks in, in between you, you kind of can't count them so it's really 83 weeks in a row of just utter dominance and domination two years basically and that was off the back of the NWO and that awesome storyline
0: And what's crazy is, and I completely agree with everything you just said, the crazy thing is it's only two years bullet Mm -hmm. club. You're talking about eight. The the thing for me with the NWO was after those original three, after Hogan, Hall and Nash, there's this huge drop-off and kind of the decline of the NWO as you started bringing in every Tom, Dick and Harry. Now, granted, bullet club has done the same. But when you look at the full lineup of the two rosters, Bullet Club has the more impressive roster as a faction. If the NWO would have just remained those three guys and what those three guys meant, yes, absolutely the three of them, the most pivotal faction in all of professional wrestling history it's just as they watered down the NWO and especially Tomato Face Sting, if anybody wants to talk about that, um, it just, it, it became almost a parody of itself, you know, and, and it's just those original three, absolutely, but when you look at the entirety of the NWO, it, it kind of loses its luster to me.
1: I agree to an extent, Jargo. I think they could have they could have pushed the NWO to the size limits of a bullet club, eight, maybe 10, but definitely had capped it at that point. Uh, it's, you know, it's when you you really get absurd and you're going down to, you know, curtain jerking level talents that really have no business, you know, being out there amongst, you know, those elite. But let's not forget, though, I mean, the, the long-term goal was to create another promotion. St- Yeah, it was to create, you know, what we we kind of seen in the last so long with WWE is the brand, yourself brand wars. Well, kind of what we've seen now with AEW. I mean, Bullet Club literally started their own promotion. We'll get to that one. We'll get to that one. Uh, Because I don't think that's as impressive as it. They went out and found the ultimate money mark. But here's what was lucky, though. Hogan, Hall, Nash, uh, those guys behind the NWO, that money mark already existed. Yep. So they just went there, got all the creative control. They essentially did. Once again, they did it before the Bullet Club. They just already had an established promotion. They, the money work was already yep. invested. The, yep. the, the machine was already rolling. But essentially, it's it's the same same principle there.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: But, you know, and we didn't get the full payoff with, with the New World Order as they wanted brand competition throughout the company there really to create no it is really just about us you don't even need to pay attention anymore to what's going on over you know no longer worry about vince and what he's got going on uh pause something you said it's very interesting you know you talk about the nwo and the impact and and that immediately uh it sets the western wrestling world on fire but it's not long before it's global and it is spread and I even remember back then, you know, watching the footage of the NWO when they would send over representatives. Uh, you know, Hall, I think Hogan did a couple spots over there. Hall would go over quite a bit, and they begin to grow in those areas. And there was still a lot of heat. People feared them coming over; that they were going to come take over their rest, their professional wrestling, as they knew it. And, it, and while the Bullet Club has had tremendous levels of heat, and never, they never, it wasn't that immediate impact. Well, and, and the other thing that helped there
0: was Hogan's reputation in Japan to begin with, Hogan being the face of the NWO, and then the, the the people that they selected for NWO Japan, when you've got Chono
1: and Muda, you you absolutely grab the fans attention. Absolutely. So so this is uh you know going back to Mr. WrestleMania and and Jargo your your, your deep despised towards Hulk Hogan. Paz talked about Hogan triggered the first great boom of the modern era. Mm-hmm. He triggered the second great boom of the modern era. And now your beloved Bullet Club, who is an evolution, who, who is recycling and bringing new life to what the NWO gave to us and, and how NB, NBO, NWO Japan kind of laid those roots as well. It was born on the back of Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan is once again resp- responsible for a boom in wrestling. There you I, go, Jargo. The, I the guarantee you're you. are here praising. Are all are, are all there because of the Hulkster.
0: I, I guarantee you Hulk Hogan would much rather be walking around at AEW throwing up two suites right now than he would be dressed as a pirate alongside <laughs> Titus
2: O'Neil. <laughs> Depends on the paycheck, brother.
0: <laughs> yeah, it
2: all comes down to the money,
1: brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: See, I- t- to me, the NWO is great, but you're right. The longevity is a couple years. Obviously, WCW tries to bring it back again in 2000. That only lasts a few months. WB brings it back in 2002, lasts a couple months. So it's funny. It's like the longevity, maybe not there, but everyone tries. Every booker wants their version of the NWO, and it gets Mm -hmm. copied so much. It's just like, and, and then you see so many promotions do their own invasion angle, which is a copy off the NWO. Um, they've kind of, to, to a certain extent, Austin McMahon is a copy off of NWO because it's the, the management versus the wrestlers, which is kind of what the NWO is in, in the crux of things. So, so many copies from the NWO, Well, some obvious, I'm not.
0: And one of the other greatest factions of all time that I would be remiss if I didn't mention another copy of the NWO, the blue world order, How, you got to give it up for the BWO, right? I mean, and, and people think that I'm joking right now. When the BWO showed up on Monday Night Raw and Stevie Richards let out with, we're taking over, I challenge you to find me a bigger pop because that was ridiculous. The BWO was over
2: huge. I thought you were going to say another copy of the NWO, and that would be Degeneration generation X, who was possibly the biggest copy of well, the NWO.
0: And if once we bring DX into the conversation, let's get round down to the real like meat and potatoes, right? The, the greatest faction of all time is the click. I mean, (laughs) when when, when you look at what they've actually done, it's the click, even though it was never really on screen.
1: You know, real quick on the BWO, even going back to their creation, we keep using copy, you know, people use copy, rip off. They truly were. It was just that fun parody. It was fantastic. Where where everyone else that has tried to sample what we've seen from the NWO, what's worked, you know, try to recreate that magic. What they were able to do, Stevie and his crew and, and the minds at ECW is is actual, is actually completely different than what we've seen everyone else attempting. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it just blatantly went out there and said, you know what? We're going to have a hell of a lot of fun with this thing. You're going to have fun with us. We're not trying to ride the coattails of that success. We're going to laugh in its face. And that was the brilliance of it. That's what made it so incredible. And you had the, the, the guys in there. And I want to say, you know, just you had the core three. Uh, Stevie was incredible there. Nova great. His spot uh, Meanie. I mean, he's got out there is just through the, uh, the truffle shuffle and he's over yep. like crazy, but even, you know, and then you have the dynamic of the individuals they're working with, especially with, you know, Raven, <laughs> you know you've got the three stooges behind you know at the time the, the culture is in the grunge music kind of the leader of that in pro wrestling it was an incredible dynamic
0: well that's the thing that made it work right when you look at the nwo when you look at the bullet club when you look at the bwo all of them did the opposite right like hulk hogan is the biggest baby face in the history of professional wrestling let's turn him heel and see what happens you get the nwo You have new Japan pro wrestling where everything is nice and tight and traditional. And then you bring in the bullet club and they're cheating left and right. And they're doing ref bumps and all this great. And that's what made it work. You're getting your heat. When you have a promotion like ECW, where everything is hardcore, everything is blood and guts. What's the opposite? The BWO. And it got over huge. That's the secret, right? You take whatever the existing standard is, flip it on its head, and that's
2: what gets over. And think about this with the NWO. People were so passionate and so against it, they would throw trash in the ring regularly, showing their disgust. You don't see that too often.
0: Is is that a good thing,
2: though? I mean, like. I think it shows you're getting tremendous heat. People, are- Well, yeah, ab- absolutely.
0: But at a certain point, it almost seemed like people were just throwing shit in the ring for the sake <laughs> of throwing shit in the ring, too. Like, oh, the NWO's out here. This is what we do now. They like, were-, we're, we're throwing trash at Virgil? Really? At Virgil?
2: He deserved no, they, they it were throwing expensive. him those cans so he could get them recycled. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think... I think he was great. And Bischoff, I asked him, Bischoff disagreed. So he shouldn't have been in the NWO. I thought he was perfect for the NWO, as like the basically the guy that's just gonna get his ass kicked. You know what I mean? Like that obviously don't think the NWO should have had
1: a guy like that. I,
2: I don't know why. For some reason, I just loved it because it's like, first of all, it's a it's a knock on WB. They're calling him Vincent, making fun of Vince. It was just another WWF guy that that had TV exposure, a ton of TV exposure, and they brought him over. It just felt like okay. WWF is literally invading because they're bringing all these guys in so I don't know for some reason it just and, and it shouldn't have it worked for me I don't know why on paper it shouldn't but I, I just loved it he's I, don't know, I, I just I'm I guess I'm a mark for him he's just he's when, hilarious
0: when did the NWO jump the shark for you
2: mm. like
0: because like after him he, he should have been the last member for me it was buff when buff Ooh, Bagwell wow. put on the black and white I was just like this is not cool anymore
2: I thought he kind of fit in in a weird way, like that cocky attitude. And he was really boys,
0: but you have to look at where he was at the time when he joined the NWO and it was just like, really buff freaking Bagwell, like buffing the stuff. And like the way that he evolved that character, it eventually fit the NWO. But when he joined, it was just like, really buff Marcus Bagwell.
2: Really? Basically, the end of 96 going into 97. It was like right before sold out when they really sort of had in the guys. I remember B- Bischoff made that proclamation either you with us or against us sign the contract. So Big Bubba jumps and VK Wall Street. And then you're like, okay, now, you know, now they're watering it down. It doesn't fit. Uh, but for some reason, I didn't mind Buff and I didn't mind Vincent. But if you stop right there, because I thought DiBiase was good, and that whole fourth man after they teased a the third man, fourth man was good. Then you could literally say that this guy, because of his, his gimmick, he's got the money and he's like funding them. Uh, I even like when Bischoff turned because that awesome Roddy Piper promo talking about driving up to his house. I don't know if you remember, he goes, was it was a windy mm-hmm. road where, and you had no idea what the hell he was talking about. And then he goes, you're a liar. Like that was just perfect. Cause then it was Bischoff guarding who's on the on top of the tower, guarding his boy Hogan. And you're wondering how he's being guarded. And you kind of see, so to me, a lot of it worked. The giant obviously was there. To make it look like, oh shit! Now they got their biggest wrestler, and then using that device to turn him and give Hogan a feud for a few months, while you're kind of waiting for the Piper feud to heat back up.
0: So began the 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 turning of Paul White babyface and heel everything. Then it weeks. got ridiculous. Then it got ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Remember when he his, his thing to get heat was to come out and smoke? <laughs> yeah. God. And he was I, doing I mean,
2: the he was doing like the Raven thing with his arm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, for for me, it's probably when Macho joined. Yeah. Yeah, that's another one that was that was like it ugh. was just it wasn't even like a, a dagger to the heart, it was just a dagger it, that, to my to my brain, like okay, I really don't care anymore. that's when Not it started needed, to feel yeah. like the
0: old folks club, you
1: know. But what you know, thing is you're talking about some of the names, like we got uh what like VK Wall Street and Big Bubba. Well, the whole thing about the NWO was we're kind of pulling that curtain back, we're getting very real, and now you're recruiting all these gimmicky name dudes. Right. Yep. You know, Maybe, you know, as you're going to talk about recreating Buff, you know, maybe with those other ones, you know, when they, if you're with us against us, when they sign that new contract to the NWO, you know, you begin to strip all that away. Like, you're not this guy. You know, you're you're an effing collegiate wrestler. You were part of the varsity club in the day. You're from Wall Street or the IRS or internal revenue. You're not any of that, garbage. Maybe that would have been different, but that's here or there. But for the impact, what it meant, Man, it's hard to top the NWO. I'm happy that Paz brought up
0: Sold Out 97. Of course, uh, b- before we were recording, I had made the comment that, you know, pro wrestling shows don't come to Iowa. That is because of Sold Out 97, the single worst pay-per-view in all of pay-per-view history, live from the Five Season
2: Center in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Yes, and they came in on garbage trucks. Yep. Interesting kind of location and venue. A lot of the stuff in the pay-per-view, like the ugly girl contest was weird. Like the NWO should have hot girls that are like from Playboy. You know what I mean? If if we're going to
0: compare sold out 97 versus all in, I'm pretty sure advantage bullet club. Although we did have Joey Ryan and a lot of penises.
1: And I will say, you know, what really hurt the NWO when we were talking about, you know, away from the ring away from the product is that terrible WCW marketing machine if you would not even call it a machine their marketing department was almost non-existent uh and it was just off the pure popularity that, that people were just hungry for those nwo shirts and the in best Wolfsburg, marketing
0: the best marketing the nwo did was making it seem like they had their own marketing team the following announcement has been paid for by the new world order
1: there's even a story dash is told where they showed up and they had boxes ready to go at the WCW merchandise stand. And he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> he's like, I'll go get Hall. We're going to go out and sell these in the parking lot. Yeah. It's like, you cannot blow the cover right here. And he's even said, you know, when you go to WWE headquarters, there's an entire floor dedicated to marketing. When you go to WCW, there was
2: a room. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah
2: it's I also think that when they did put out stuff, it was great though. Cause I bought all those NWO shirts. I still got my Hogan Ripped. Remember Hogan had that awesome like um Terminator esque shirt, the rip? Really good quality. I, I bought that. I bought all the NWO, still got my NWO hat. I, I when they when they finally got rolling with the NWO merch though, it was some good stuff. But you're right, they should have put more effort. If they did WBF level, they could probably even sold more and, and done a few different things. But it's interesting, like the, the big sellers were the Sting Mask and the NWO shirt were the two biggest sellers. Not the red sting mask. No. I mean, the, the white crow one.
0: Th- th- does anybody want to talk
2: about the pack? Does the pack help the NWO or hurt the no. NWO? <laughs> Hurts it. If, if they would have done the real Wolf Pack, which is Hall, Nash, and Six, and Six would never got fired, I would have loved the Wolfpack. Wouldn't even care if you throw Conan or, or somebody extra, but no Luger, no Sting. They just don't fit in with the NWO or the Wolfpack at all. The true blue WCW guys, no need to do that, but... Paul Nash and Six, the real Wolfpack, the Slamboree 1997 main event guys who called themselves the Wolfpack, that's the Wolfpack. Not this Macho Man Randy <laughs> Savage thrown into the group with Sting and stuff. Like, oh, man. For one night only, though, Sting's pop when he turned Wolfpack was insane. But it's one of those things where it's, okay, you did it for the one-night pop. Then where do you go from here? Then you make him into the Red Wolf Pack. Like, uh, I mean, I, I did have a, a Sting Wolf Factor, but uh, looking back, it is an awful, awful the, shirt and an awful look. The best thing about the Wolf Pack was their entrance music. Oh, awesome! Yep,
1: Sting and Sting and Macho Man and in, in any past, do not work in factions. No,
2: nope, they're above it. And the thing with Savage is, it's so funny. He did not need to be in the NWO, but his feud with DDP that year was awesome. So it almost supersedes to me like the, the, the weirdness that he's in the NWO just because that feud was so awesome and he still had it. Like he was still dominating, still doing good stuff. It was just so weird. It's like, man, he was just feuding with the NWO. He hates Hogan. How <laughs> the fuck's he in the NWO? Yep. yep. Crazy. I'm
0: I'm dumb. Who else is on your list, Paz? Like I, I mean, I, I feel like we've hit all the big ones with the exception of DX and
2: the horseman. So to me, I was going to go DX next just because we were talking about the NWO, and I think that they were a complete ripoff of the NWO, like down to the catchphrase. Everything, I think, is a complete ripoff of the NWO. So to me, I, I know I'll get into horsemen because now that I'm thinking of the longevity and stuff, you know, they're gonna, they might have to start getting back higher up on the list. But DX, I just don't consider them, and I know everyone does, a great faction. Yes, they had the longevity. Yes, you had the Michaels group, which I liked with China and Rick Rude and Triple H. Then you had the second group of Triple H, the Outlaws and, and Road Dog, I mean, uh, X Pac in China. To me, it's like if you don't have X Pac, that group is a complete joke. Why is X Pac good for the group? And why did X Pac get Triple H over? Because he's from the NWO. The fucking guy was NWO. They should have never released him. He literally made Triple H into a bigger name by just coming out that day after Mania and cutting that awesome promo. That literally gave Triple H a big push just there because he's the leader of a group with the guy that was in the NWO is in it. That was a killer. I don't care if his neck was hurt. I don't care that Barry Bloom snake fish off and try to get more money out of the contract. I don't care that Waltman made some other crazy demands gotta keep that guy that was a huge mistake huge that that was like wcw's got this big wall somebody took a brick and took a brick and took a brick and it's slowly peeling to me that's the first brick that got peeled out of that wall and it's about to crumble because any nwo guy with that significance that has that kind of rub that's all nash's boy that's really the quote-unquote wolfback you can't let him go to the other organization and then make that faction good and that faction literally copies everything you do. Your attitude, uh, the, the X, the chop, is Scott Hall. Scott Hall invented that, but he just did the down. Where are you going? Down there. And you go down where? Down here. And he would always go like this. Uh, HBK copied it. Triple H copied it. Then everybody copied it. Then, uh, then they started, let's just do the X and turn it that way. So uh, everything to me, uh, DX is like, they're nothing compared to the NWO, but they have an NWO member in it. So it gives them credibility. The original lineup
0: of DX when it was Sean Hunter, China and rude. I absolutely loved. I absolutely loved it because it was so different than everything else that was on WWE television at the time. Yep. When Hunter took over after WrestleMania 14, It almost feels like a completely different faction. Everything about DX changed to where it became almost this overly cartoonish iteration. So to me, like DX version one, I absolutely give credit to DX version two. It it just seems like a complete cluster that was obviously there simply to rival the NWO. But the original lineup of DX, can you even really consider them a faction? I mean, it was more like a tag team and two managers because it's not like Rude was really doing anything. China hadn't really become China at that point. We weren't really seeing her in ring. She was just like a female bodyguard just to add more heat to the entire situation. It was really just Sean and Hunter.
2: And well, if it, you, oh, just real, oh, real quick. I was going to say, and you think about it when they did that with the DX with triple H X pocket and road dog and Billy Gunn in China. They even did when the NWO had their awesome horseman parody, they copied that and did the nation domination parody. People like, Oh, it's such a great parody. It's literally it just a ripoff of what the NWO did. Except for one small fact, that was totally just a complete joke. The NWO, there was realism there. I mean, the guy really retired and they were really ripping him and they were really bringing up personal stuff. So to me, so much Way way better done by the NWO. DX was a ripoff, very poorly done parody. I you know that a lot of people love it, but very poorly done. I, the, the shocking racial ramifications is, is what I was going to say.
0: does that even yeah. exist anymore? I assume <laughs> that was one of the first things that Peacock took out. Right? That, was, uh, that was that was wiped out by the cock. Ms. Ark Henry, great stuff. X Pac is Mark Henry. You know it, it again. Y- y-
1: DX, DX in its time. Like so many other things going on inside of WWE, it was a creation out of necessity. They had to answer what the competition was doing. And again, it goes back to, okay, we know this is what the audience wants. They're leaving us in droves and they've got fans coming back to them. They are picking up steam. Not only are they taking our audience, they're growing theirs from outside the wrestling bubble. So what do you have to do there? And it's just not in wrestling. You see this in any any industry. If you're at a restaurant and the guy next door is blowing you out of the water because, you know, you're selling fried chicken and he's got this awesome hamburger thing. Guess what you're trying to do? Steal that hamburger recipe. You're trying to figure out what the hell they got going on there so that you can compete in your marketplace. And that's exactly what they had to do there at the time. And so what did DX do? They took it a little bit further. They took it a little bit extreme. They were they were sampling from ECW, WCW, and trying to find that fine mix inside of there. I do agree with Jargo. You, you got two completely different factions that we're talking about the the early incarnation uh, with Sean at the helm, it, you know, a completely different vibe. and then when you get Triple H, you add in the Outlaws, it becomes a lot more sophomore. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you've got that grab ass locker room you know jokester mentality you know in in the real time that's where i'm at in life i enjoyed that <laughs> but because but, you know i even I in was... saying
0: that even in saying that they flipped the entire war because when when dx does the invasion of wcw and wcw does not respond and the nwo does not respond to everything that dx is doing with that stupid invasion that
1: really to me is where the war turned Now, if we're talking about, you know, mirroring each other, sampling what the other group is doing or whatnot, and I know we regularly hear this narrative and it makes for tremendous drama during this promotional war, the Monday night wars, everybody was at each other's throat. I don't completely buy into that. I'm sure there's, hey, we don't lose our job here, but you, you are absolutely kidding me if you're going to tell me that there are not regular conversations back and forth between the click members talking about what they've got going on. oh, I kind of like that. You know, we might do that here. And they're probably pitching ideas back and forth to one another. So again, the click is still playing both of these promotions and everybody with inside of them and all the viewers against each other.
0: Well, I mean, even Hall and Nash have said many times, like Bischoff should have just opened the damn door. Yeah. I mean, because to me it just it made WCW look like a bunch of pussies.
2: And it's funny too, because I know Billy Gunn obviously could handle itself, <laughs> but man, WCW's roster, you got Haku and Finley and stuff, they would kill yeah. they would have killed those guys. Not that Triple H because Hall and Nash are boys with him and Waldman, but if they got into like a fight, man, the <laughs> WCW guys minus Billy Gunn probably they would have killed those guys easily. Dude, when we were at
0: StarCast, when we were getting ready to check into our hotel, Billy Gunn was in front of us, and I felt so bad for that clerk because he was in a very, very bad mood, and she could not do anything right. But, yeah, he's kind of a scary dude. Like, when when you look at him, you know, in, like, the Attitude Era, and you think that, you know, Billy Gunn was, like, an average-sized dude, and then you, like, actually see him up close, and you're like,
2: holy shit, dude. And then you Big see him guy. on AEW TV, you're like, okay, this guy is a giant.
0: <laughs> How much B12 is in Billy Gunn? Holy Christ.
1: Jargo, it, I, can't, I can't remember. Do you remember his uh, alias? Did he check under some crazy name? Mm-hmm. Oh, shoot.
2: Man, yeah, it was did, some off the
1: remember. wall. Like he had Kip, some it, kind of. Like, like Waldo Mason or something like that. Yeah, It, it was, was something ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Oh, he was hot because they didn't have like a first class room reserved for him. They had just had a regular hotel room.
2: Oh, boy. Billy God. But uh, as far as DX, I guess they get considered also because the popularity, because of the attitude I read. I know they sold a shit ton of shirts, and people were definitely into it, but to me, they were kind of like a corny rip-off version of the NWO. When so funny when people say, which is better, NWO or DX? I laugh, because I'm like, whoever asked that question, you're obviously clueless. And, and, then, he,
1: and then you get into all the the reunions of DX no matter who it might be, and they just continue as they evolve towards the the G the G rated era oh, of God. WWE. I mean, oh, you God. got Hornswoggle joining. At that point, they just realize we are
2: a merch machine. That's all we've got going on. Triple H and, and HBK when they did that, you know, re, reboot of DX might be the corniest thing ever, like the hot dog jokes and all the other it was so. Bad. Like, it's like basically 40, 50 year old guys trying to be funny and trying to be cool. It just doesn't quite work. Yeah. Trying Literally, to
0: be I, edgy I, in a PG environment.
2: I, I try every day. It does not work. So, with Vola Club mentioned, NWO mentioned, Jargo mentioned even BW, which just can't kind of surprise me. Uh, the uh, DX got to mention, of course, the Four Horsemen. The group is kind of not the first faction, but it's really the first well known. I mean, you got like paul jones army and just random factions all over the place in the territory era not really known as factions or stable as much but they were so really the first one that really gained super popularity was the four horsemen and the original being rick tully arn Oly, and then you throw jj in the mix i mean and then orange promo set it off i mean the horsemen they got to be considered one of the greatest factions i know eventually you lose holy you put in luger they kind of didn't lose any steam because then they started touring big time and making a ton of money doing war games. Uh, then you lose Luger and you add Barry Windham, and then they become even better and become the, the, possibly the greatest group of work rate guys ever. And you think, like, holy shit, you add Barry Windham in there with Arn and Tully, who are already great, and Flair might be the greatest of all time. It's like, shit, this group is great. Eventually you lose some steam. Yeah, Sting in the mix Sting gets kicked out in a very, very memorable promo uh, that, that was just great The way they set it up You knew he wasn't going to be a horseman But the way they kicked his ass and turned heel That was cool stuff He still had a great moment You throw in, uh, which is crazy Like the Kendall Wyndham's the world Which technically doesn't count to me uh, The Sid, Sid was okay in it When Ole was kind of more like the manager role He kind of took over the JJ role Then you go even further Paul Roma, to me quite Didn't quite work out Didn't fit the group Let's just say it that way uh, but they weren't even four guys at that point. It was three guys with Ole kind of being around. And then, you know, you had the Brian Pillman era, which just wasn't around long enough. That was one of my favorite horsemen. And I always say that. I even mentioned that to Arn. I was like, man, I love Pillman, Benoit, Arn, and Rick together. It just felt like a real awesome horseman. Just sucks. Didn't get the longevity. It's one of my favorite groups. You throw Mongo in the mix. Obviously, not a great worker. Somehow, someway, always over huge with the crowd. I think it's because of the. Chicago Bears and his football background is almost uh, Hall of Fame worthy. Really, football career he was great. Um, obviously, you're on the '86 Bears. Everyone's going to freaking He 85 had, he, had, he had tremendous, he had tremendous charisma. Yep, great charisma. '85 yep. Bears. I mean, everyone's going to remember. He had tremendous charisma. The horsemen themselves, Arn and Rick, absolutely love him. They're football guys. They're beer drinking guys, so they absolutely love him. Eventually, you, know, you get the Malinkos of the world in the group, and obviously Benoit would stay for longer. Rick leaves, gets kind of fired by Bischoff, comes back, infam- infamously fire me. I'm already fired. That awesome promo. So, I mean, Horsemen definitely had some longevity and definitely a, a lot of length to them. But I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Rick? Do, do they count? Do you, do you like the interchanging of the group? To me, they got to be considered. One of the greatest, especially with Flair at the helm. I think what's so tremendous with the Horseman
1: legacy is, you know, we regularly talk about the effects, the rippling effects on professional wrestling. And at that time, you know, we, we got to go back and really look at the differences in the fan bases. We Just inside of Western wrestling, the United States, we had two very different fan bases where, you know, the WWF was more of the over the top outlandish uh more cartoon it's it's the big marketing machine the nwa uh, even you know as it transitions across the territories into wcw it had more of that raw rugged big fight sports feel to it yes and it drove different passions and fires in their fans so with that with that nwa with that fan base who who they bought in with everything they had they they completely bought in when they said when they bought that ticket and the heat that that generated now we've had other factions through the territories that would go out there and cause riots across across the country across the territories but to see a group like this the work rate the star power the accomplishments to see a true group of, don't put it in here, of true elites in professional wrestling come together to form this sort of alliance, it completely rocked pro wrestling. Now, I, I, I hate to take this away from him because, you know, this is going back to a time where you didn't have the global reach. That you, where we can we can say the the connection or the waves that it caused for an NWO, for a bullet club. But if you're just looking at that impact, what that meant to professional wrestling and even growing the brands in their reaches at the time, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that had a
2: a bigger, you know, knockout punch than the Horseman. And the War Games was awesome, which... They're still copying today, and that's another thing. It's like so many factions after the Horsemen are just Horseman rip-offs. Evolution, which was a great faction for a small piece of time in WWE, was complete Horseman rip-off. The Pinnacle today are a Horseman rip-off. There's so many Horseman rip-offs, so it's one of those things, you go back, you're like, it's the NWO almost like a Horseman rip-off in, in, in a certain extent. Not really because of the Invasion stuff, but you know, just being a group of guys, but obviously then they added more and more guys, and it kind of got rid of that rip-off feel to it. But it's like... What Flair was like, any faction after us is just a off of the horseman. You know, kind of a little bravado, a little cocky confidence involved with that. But that's always just a thought to me. But then they did war games recently. AEW trying to be Horseman versus Dusty. You know, they a lot of things just uh, kind of come back around just to get the nostalgia feel, and you love the Horsemen. But once you have Flair, the greatest of all time, arguably, as the leader of your group, you gotta uh, you know gotta rank them higher than you would a normal group.
0: I think the thing about the horsemen that really makes them stand out is it was the first time that it felt like there was a real faction, right? Right. Because, I mean, like you had other groups, but you had like, you know, the Heenan family. Yes. You know what I mean? And it was like, you know, all those guys, like, what did they have in common? Bobby Heenan, not necessarily that they liked each other, not that they wanted to hang out with one another. It was just, you know, they were all underneath of the Bobby Heenan umbrella. The horseman was like the first, like, it felt like four guys who were working together to achieve one common goal. They were like the first true faction. It wasn't a family. It was just the way that that group was put together. The problem with the horsemen is as much good horseman stuff as there was, there was also that much bad horseman stuff, not necessarily through any fault of the horsemen, just like with the different incarnations and people getting moved around and whatnot. The horsemen's a very, very interesting one because when you look at their historical significance, it can't be denied. But when you really look at how long the horsemen were quote unquote on top it was a very, very short period of time. They were around forever because of all the different incarnations, but their true dominance, it was a really, really kind of flash in the pan kind of situation. When you look at some of these other groups that we've been talking about.
1: I think that speaks to the magnitude of how impactful, how important those original runs were because I mean, just, just that flash in the pan and what that meant and what that triggered in professional wrestling. And, And in, in right now, while there were others, especially on the national scene where we'd seen the families, well, you know, he didn't, you know, he had groups going to AWA. You had the Hart family running through the territories. You uh, had, Eric's. I mean, you, you had the Freebirds, you had the Legion of Doom, you've had the Rat Pack. Nobody brought that star power on that, that kind of level that shook the foundation of professional wrestling. And we're talking about. How, you know, through the generations, you have these spinoffs, you have these where they sample, they mirror, they replicate, they evolve, whatever the case might be. Has it ever been done more than trying to mirror and sample what the horsemen gave?
2: And they had one focus, which made them a great faction, usually the world title and usually keep that world title on flair and beat up whoever he was feuding with. So definitely, I mean, I was thinking like Heenan family stuff, but you're right. They never had that all common goal. Sometimes Survivor Series, they'd come together as a team, but it wasn't like the common goal of like real, real stable, you know, where they were out for each other's back. They were all just managed by Heenan, really.
0: Yeah. 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 I, and I mean, I, I feel like that's really the full list, right? I mean, like there's the Horseman, there's DX, there's the NWO, and there's the Bullet Club. Like, there, there's some other ones that, like, you can talk about. You can make a case for, you know, the Von Eriks. Mm-hmm. But doesn't it just kind of fall by the wayside compared to those four? Like, that's the final four if you're running a tournament,
1: right? I would think so. I would agree. I mean, you got some other ones, you know, as we talked about going through the territories. And we could deep dive into the groups in New Japan and what they had. And I think, you know, what... What sets the the big boys that we're talking about here, the big four, is that that larger impact that they had mm-hmm. and how the ripples and how they changed the business as a whole and just not inside of a niche, a territory,
2: a promotion, whatever it might be. So the Hart Foundation, just throw them out there. Always thought that was a great faction, really to nineteen ninety seven with Bret Hart at the helm. Short run, obviously, but great impact. Maybe uh, because of the NWO, the money impact wasn't quite there and and the drawing power. But obviously, Canadian Stampede did really, really well. A great match. Great, great, great feud uh, there. But uh, I think that Hart Foundation, just to throw out another faction that was great, but won't get the consideration because the length of time and money drawn, etc. Uh,
0: I The mind that I had on my list that we haven't talked about is the Shield. Like, it, oh, could,
2: okay.
0: how, could, do we not consider them? I mean, like the, those three guys, especially when they first brought them in, they had one hell of a run and they burned really, really hot for a very, very short period of time. But I mean, like, I, they're kind of like that first incarnation of DX, aren't they? When you look at the, the actual tenure and the influence that they had on the company at that time.
2: Yes. I know Rick is making some weird faces, but I I agree. No,
1: no, I, I you know I'm really trying to you know break it down here. What would be the issues with the shield? And I think it's timing It is because the yeah. product was kind of down. If you would have let those guys kind of go out there and, and run rogue, uh, kind of been those outlaws, uh, I think you would have got a much different you know remembrance, put a much different taste in people's mouths. But hey, uh, all of them have been PWI Wrestler of the Year. Uh, they have been multiple world-time champions. When you look at these other factions and you look at those top guns, you really can't say that. It's pretty they, impressive. They have been able to go out there and accomplish all of that. Uh, pause with you with the Hart the Foundation. I think you know they are in next here, and it's unfortunately, they'll be one of those that maybe gets forgotten as you really dive into these conversations. But they were so unique, too, and in their presentation what they brought to the table and ultimately to me you look at that brett and the heart foundation there that is what truly triggered the attitude era you know yeah, the, creating that divide between the world and usa and it's mm-hmm.
0: so weird to me when people say the heart foundation because when i think of the heart foundation
1: you're thinking, you're thinking back to jimmy and danny and, well, and Jim. I, I
0: just think of the tag team yeah. I, I just think of jim and brett like the, the two of them together, that was the heart foundation to me. And everybody else was like, oh yeah, that's right. They were actually a full faction. But when you say the heart foundation, I just think of the tag team. I think of the heart foundation versus the rockers. I think of the heart foundation versus demolition. You know, I just, to me, the heart
1: foundation is just those two guys. Uh, I did want to throw out one. A, uh, uh, one that didn't hit the mark that, that could have been a game changer. We could have been talking about. Dungeon
2: of, uh,
1: got, Dungeon of Doom. Oh, sorry, Dungeon of Doom. They were killing wrestling. No, it's dangerous it's, it's alliance. In there, uh, I like dangerous alliance, but a missed opportunity. The Nexus. Well, yeah, I mean,
2: thanks, Jeff. That's that's
1: a, that's another you know just Thank outside you, of Cena. Stina. That's another victim of the, the times. What you could do. Thank
0: you, Cena. Is that really when, like? the smart Mark hatred for John Cena like really came up yes. because I mean, we, we all saw that for what
2: it was as it happened. And the best is that edge and Jericho in interviews after this have said, they both went to Vince. They both went to Cena and like, you cannot win this match. And they're on Cena's team. So it's nothing yeah. like, Oh, they have nothing to do with it. They're in the match. They're like, yeah. you can't win. You can literally, it's over if you, if you guys win now, I'm going over and uh, Vince. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, nope, he he supposedly wanted to go over it, said he needed to, and killed Barrett, killed the next. Then when you
0: think of what a star Wade Barrett could have been, that's got to be one of the biggest ball drops of, like, the last 25 years of professional wrestling.
2: Yeah, I, got some bad news for you. I got some bad news for you, though. <sighs> they dropped the ball.
0: Awful. Like, I, I think Wade Barrett is right up there next to Bailey. At this point, just major epic level ball drops.
2: Look at Rick thinking hard. What, what's going on?
1: What are you thinking about, it, Rick? I, I, I'm processing this entire conversation, man. This is this is a lot.
2: I was this thinking. Is a lot to run through the system. I was actually thinking somebody that Jargo mentioned. That's one of my favorite factions of all time. But the longevity wasn't quite there. And arguably, if you write the names on paper, might be the greatest faction of all time. Dangerous Alliance. Unbelievable. <laughs> First of yeah. all, Heyman, Pauly Dangerously, Arn, beautiful Bobby, Zabisco, obviously, at one point, Ricky Rude, and stunning Steve Austin. I mean, just what a faction. Then you throw a Medusa, too. Man, what a faction. I, I think incredible
1: lineup of talent. Really seeing Heyman come into a zone there, you know, taking the ball, rubbed it. Uh, but to me, it comes off more as one of, you know, like those Heenan family. I know they worked together significantly more, you know, they would team up for at different points, but it just kind of fell into that same model at that time. You know, you've got the Hart family, you've got the Heenan family, you got the Dangerous Alliance, you got whatever Slick was doing, you know, it's just, it had so much of that same formula.
2: It was just the longevity wasn't there either with the dangerous alliance it just wasn't quite there long enough. Could have been like the next horseman for them, but uh, it didn't quite work out. So just to you know recap and bring it all back around, there's been a bunch of great groups. I even liked the the corporation just for the, the time that the, that they were there, just because they, it, no longevity, either, but they were a fun little feud to, with for Steve Austin.
0: I was always a sucker for the main event mafia. Like I I thought Ooh, that yeah, was so freaking cool. Yep. I'm, it's just you, you. want to talk about victims of circumstance?
2: They were awesome, yeah, and they got some great ratings at a time for TNA when TNA did not usually get great ratings. I mean, two million people, hell, Raw would kill for two million people right now. They <laughs> yeah. like, literally killed. They probably would, would be, you know, ecstatic with but, that. Wait, what would you with the main event Mafia? It goes back to I just, I, it was.
1: It's always so hard for me to buy staying in a in a group like that. But I, I did really like, you know, how he was trying to bucket and Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do this the right way. I just, I,
0: I dug like suit and tie and sunglasses sting. Like yeah. it was just like, it was like sting grown up and it was like, yeah, this feels cool. Like I could get down with this incarnation of sting.
2: And he was kind of a baby face and they were all kind of healed. And he was trying to bring them to his side. And obviously, they all kind of go with the angle way and then angle him start feuding yeah. again. But really good stuff, I thought, from the main event mafia. Great time for uh, TNA. Yeah. So, really, um, I guess, like we said, Dungeon of Doom really does not count. Um, the Triple Threat in ECW, uh, I, I like to give them some love. They were not the greatest faction of all time, but greatest faction in ECW, probably. They were great. Um, Shane, my favorite one was Shane Bigelow and Candido. thought that was great. Obviously, you can go Shane. Benoit Malenko is another good one, but um, just to throw out another faction there.
0: Um the 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 radicals when yeah. they came yeah. in, I yeah. mean that that was a big one, even though again pretty short lived. Yep.
1: Uh, oh flock changer. I that love the flock. Strength. Give me that. Flock, yep. But did you like the <laughs> nest or the flock better? Flock. The flock. I, I I always just think you know, everything Raven did, I love the Raven himself everything that he brought but he never no any faction he was with that the bwo just outshined it <laughs> just because of the affiliation hey and i will say if they would have given him some damn television time some major television time we'd be talking about the insurgency right now led by ben Hami. well how about right to censor right we, we talked about stevie earlier right
0: to censor i mean you want to talk about a a, a faction that was ahead of their freaking time stevie richards won ladies and gentlemen. The WWE is now built in Stevie Richard's image.
2: The true. True. Now, just to kind of put a button on this one, RBV, give one final pick. Greatest faction of all time. Don't give us a couple. One, one, one and only. You can't change your opinion. You can't change your mind. One faction. Greatest of all time. Well, I already had a two-part answer prepared oh. here. All right. Give us the two-part. Well, I'm going to go
1: with for the past for the greatest faction in our conversation here. And I I'm going with the OGs, the ones that that really set it off. When you, when you look at that that ripple that impact and how it is tried to be emulated over and over, I I'm going with the four, the four horsemen. But now, I going forward, oh. the, the newest form faction. They they've come together to we'll make it official here. Paz representing the empire teaming up with hashtag them. HTM boys, Jargo and myself, the art of the beat of the B, Richard Bronson Vickery. Nice. Uh, we are going to take those reins for greatest faction and, and move this business forward.
0: You know, when he, said the em- when he said the empire, I thought, wow, I really like Jeff Cobb, dude, but like, let's not get
2: carried away, right? I was going to say, damn, uh, RBV, I know you knew that I interviewed Osprey, but it hasn't even come out yet. Don't so relax. Jeez. You know, I, I do like
0: the Empire I do like the Empire I'm not so sure about the great Okan but you know we'll'll we'll, we'll come around on him
2: you, um, you would know this just random thought though why is he wasn't he originally the great o'carn and they yes. trained Did is that to make fun of Tony Khan? or
0: I I, I don't know
2: I don't know but anyway back to your point I'm sorry
0: um I'm I'm still really torn man because everything inside of my brain, absolutely believes that it's the NWO. But as I look at bullet club more and more, and I think about, you know, the NWO outside of the big three outside of hall, Nash and Hogan bullet club might be the better
2: faction. Wow. All right. I'm going to go for me. I got to go NWO just because man, like when they came along, everyone started getting back into wrestling i mean it was crazy and obviously austin you know kind of took it to another height but it would have never happened for wbf or austin had the real attitude era not begun in wcw with the nwo that is who everyone copied that is who everybody wanted to be that is who people somehow made them the best heels and baby faces at the same time because they would get booed, but then they would get cheered, and like everyone loved them. Everyone's buying their shirts. Everyone's buying their merch. Everybody wanted to be in the NWO. That's why I got to go. I got to go to the NWO. I mean, the real answer is still the click, right? If, if you talk about behind
0: backstage it. influence politics, everything involved. I mean, when you got Sean Hunter Hall and Nash and Walman. Waltman, I mean, like that that group and what they have done to professional wrestling over the course of really since their incarnation, especially with everything Sean and Hunter are doing now with NXT.
2: And you think about Hall and Nash. People always say, "Oh, there was guaranteed contracts before Hall and Nash." Not like this. Not no. with the well, Not with the. I'm only working eighty days, or I'm only working hundred eighty days. I'm I'm getting this day off. I'm like they had the first real. Guaranteed contracts where they were in control. They had favored nations, which people are like, What the fuck? Favorite nations? the fuck is this? I mean, they were the ones that did stuff like that. It's like, okay, yep. you know, you always hear sting money and guaranteed dates and stuff, but they took it to another level where you see still today, Brock Lesnar, that deal he has is the whole Nash Sweetheart deal. You know, yep. uh, whoever what it go Goldberg, whatever part-time you and want to think of.
0: And the favored nations clause. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> the fact that they had that built into it was
1: foresight that nobody could predict and and, and you wonder why vince is so tight with his money today when he sees what happened (laughs) in wcw and we're talking about a handful of people that had that power in wcw although they were paying just out out the rear end i mean people you know triple figs just to sit at home and and now we've got a guy out there that's giving like that kind of control to majority of his
2: 86 individual roster and you think about this too McMahon's father, well, really his grandfather was a great promoter, but his father was the number one promoter in the world. If you just look at the grand scheme of things, like he was the top promoter, Vince was the top promoter forever. Nobody's knocking them off the off the uh you know, off the mountaintop. The NWO comes along and boom, somebody and the only person since, the only person before to beat a McMahon was Bischoff, and it's because of the NWO. So people kind of just like breeze by that, but no one's been able to beat him since. No one could beat him before then. No one beat his father. You know what I mean? Like, his grandfather's a great promoter. So, what resonated? What did it? And, god damn, it was Hall, Nash, and, and Hogan, and the NWO to set it off. Ironically enough, the monsters that Vince created. Yes. Yep. No doubt. No doubt about it. So, that is for this week. The Who is the greatest faction? Uh, really kind of fun. I uh, like that Jargo kind of spurred it, and Rick rolled his eyes saying, Fuck the Bullet Club. Uh, get out of here. And, and it kind of spurred into a great episode here where well, we got to talk about many different uh, factions, including the Bullet Club, the Four Horsemen, the NWO, DX, the Heenan family, and we can go on and on and on. But let's get into the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website, tmptempire.com, and of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. Rick, what do you got?
1: Well, uh, as this thing will be dropping, I will be on the road to Greenfield, Ohio, uh, for the the debut, the first, hopefully, of many events for the Professional Wrestling Alliance. Uh, very proud to say that I'll be working with my brother over in the Monday locker room, the Hami Media Group, the Doctor Man Beast, Ted McNailer. He's kind of he's got the book, he's running the town and all that. I'm out on the floor working on the live event experience. Uh, Going to be just uh, an incredible. An incredible opportunity, as I said, experience to be able to work with him and then bring professional wrestling back to Greenfield, Ohio. We got an incredible crew that's going down this Saturday, May fifteenth. So I'm looking forward to that. Hey, you can keep uh, you know follow all of our crazy adventures over the weekend. I'll be showing on uh, all sorts of videos and updates. You can keep up with me at the Real RBV, and of course for everything, Hameen Media Group. You, know, you can follow us across all social media at the Hameen Media Group. Chargo.
0: Well, you can you can find me basically everywhere. You can find me over at hittingthemarks.com alongside my favorite Huckleberry, the real RBV. Hopefully we'll be uh, having some new episodes coming soon as I get moved into the 203 studios. You can also find me over at destinopod.com where I, I talk the latest in new Japan professional wrestling and Thank God I'm not doing episodes right now, because otherwise I'd have to talk about the clusterfuck that is New Japan Professional Wrestling, dealing with their COVID outbreak and whatnot. But I guess the easiest way to keep up with all things Jargo, simply visit
2: michaeljargo.com. It's got links to everything. Love it. Thank you guys for joining me, and thank you everybody for listening. We will hopefully see right back here for maybe another edition of Who is the Greatest. What will be the topic? I am not sure, but hopefully we'll see you right back here next week. See you then, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You could check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube.